You do love me, Janine. You do. I know you do. Huh? Do you, Comical? Pat, you trod on me foot. Get off! He's a singer as well. Mustang Sally! Who remembers the Rasmus? I do. Yeah. You've, you've said you've had that in your week. In your week, in your head all week. I have, for some reason. I think I thought about the singer from the Rasmus, and particularly the fact that he had a feather in his hair all the time, <laughs> um, which was an odd... Th- like, that's really trying to be adamant after that's not cool yeah. anymore, isn't it? I'm adamant that he wasn't adamant. Um, yeah, yeah, sort of works. That's Joe. I'm Simon. Do you have any thoughts on the Rasmus, Matt? I'm just rolling my eyes at the moment. <laughs> Largely, I don't mind them, but it's yeah. the the wordplay that's. At play Can anyone yeah. name yeah. another song? Oh, I did have the first album, but I, <clears throat> there was probably one called um, "Darkness Sings." <laughs> Darkness Sings. <laughs> I'm gonna look it up. What about "It's Cold Here"? It's cold in Scandinavia, yeah. where we're from. <laughs> here we go. In the shadows. Oh, their second most popular song. With 8,500,000 plays on Spotify is Living in a World Without You. Oh, that sounds a lot like a Bond theme song. It does, actually. There was a new Bond trailer this week. There was. No Time to Die. Yeah. The new Bond film. Might as well be called Skyfall 2. Is that what you think? I think... I think it looks really good. Mainly because, I agree, it does give off big Skyfall vibes. Yeah. Big vibes. Sorry. But that's a good thing. Also... Welcome to the IGN UK podcast. My name is Matthew Burzler and I'm joined by Joe Scrabbles. Oh, hello. And Simon Cardi. I think we made that pretty uh, pretty clear where you are. I just want to point out before we properly start again that the Rasmus had an album in 1996 called Peep Ghostbusters. <laughs> I like Peep it. Or peak. Peep. Peep. Uh, the first song was Ghostbusters. The second song was Postman. Number eight Did it deliver? on the track list was Frog. <laughs> Number nine was Funky Jam. <laughs> I think they changed style. I just listened to Frog on Ribby. Nope. Can uh, we stop? Yeah, Good well, I Lord. was about to talk about Bond, but someone interrupted me. So, we hadn't uh, done the introduction. He'd kind he of done a semi intro. He, he, he melded us in. No Time to Die is Daniel Craig's last Bond film. Yeah. Until someone else takes over. Don't know who that'll be. Um, what do you mean it's his last Bond film until someone else takes over? Who's, well, we don't know who it's going to be no, but, next. But, but that doesn't matter. It <laughs> still makes it his last, last Bond wow. film. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> oh. It looks good. It looks fine. I yeah. like that Rami Malek looks like a creep. Yeah. Yep. I'm I glad mean, he struggles not to. Yes. <laughs> I'm glad we've got proper creep show Bond villain again. Yeah. That's, what, that's my favourite type of Bond villain. I don't want suave. I don't want businessman. I want just grim. Mm. Grim, creepy boy. I always forget what um, Javier Bardem. What's it? Is it Sosa? No, it's not Raul Sosa. Silva. Raul yeah. Silva. Sosa is Scarface. Yeah, <laughs> very similar films. You know, there's a big theory that uh, Raul Silva is uh, M's adopted son. Yeah, I did see that. Yeah, which I don't buy, but no. I think it's quite fun. Well, it's because he calls him mommy, doesn't he? At one point. Yeah, but mm. I think that, that feels much that, more like I thought that was him, like putting it onto Bond, and yeah. that was kind of like this weird surrogate relationship they have. Mama but has been very there are bad. A lot of rumors flying around, like you know how in Spectre they did the whole like two years of no Crystal Fultz isn't Blofeld. Yeah. Mm. He was Blofeld. Yeah. <laughs> they they called him something else, but then he was Blofeld. Yeah. Is Rami Malek Doctor No? It certainly feels like it. I don't know that much about Bond's mm. earlier history because I think a lot of them are shit. Well, you're um, wrong. But 
uh, yeah, I've read enough to convince me, even yeah. me, that yeah. Doctor No is well, what Rami Malek is. Established Spectre is the big over. Now they've got the rights presence. to it back. Exactly, yep. exactly. And Doctor No, of course, was the first Bond proper Bond film made, and a big part of Spectre. So it makes sense that he's in it. But there's big clues there. Like but it looks like he's got an underground layer, doesn't it? Yeah, it looks Ooh. like he's got that going on. Uh, he kind of he has the vibes of Doctor No from the first yeah. film. And the big giveaway really is we still haven't seen his hands. Yeah, and Doctor yeah. No has these mad mechanical hands. If you don't know that, some Chinese triads cut off when he refused <laughs> to tell them where his gold was. Yeah, well, d- yeah, because they're called the tongs. <laughs> the and tongs. when you told me about it yesterday, you thought they cut off his hands <laughs> with tongs. No, the, the, yeah, the triads are called the tongs. Not they might have used tongs to cut off the uh, yeah. <laughs> the hands. Get the barbecue equipment. <laughs> yeah, that'd be. Co- and the film is called No Time to Die. Yeah. Is that just them being really cute? I quite like it if they yeah. are. Could all these things just be like they know after the Blofeld thing, people are looking for all these things like who are they bringing back, what are the details, and it's all just a bluff. He yeah. is just called Saffin. Yeah, which I mean, sounds more like a perfume than a villain. Yeah, but he does look heavily perfumed. He'd, I bet he smells nice, Rami Malek. I think almost every Bond villain, barring Jaws, smells good. <laughs> Yeah, who's the, who's can you the think, stinkiest? Can you think of a stinky-looking Bond villain? Robert Carlyle, maybe, was a little stinky, a little uh, sweaty. Was that when he was bald and couldn't feel anything? Yeah, because yeah, he'd been shot in the well, head. Well, yeah, did he? was he an anosmic as well as a touchable? <laughs> I don't know. If These he, are details we don't Because he might know. know. Uh, to be fair, weirdly, I lived with two anosmic people in two mm. years at university, and both of them smelled incredible because they both were worried that they yeah, smelled bad they properly you slathered do, it um <laughs> slathered it it's horrible <laughs> yes yeah, it just smelled it. good <laughs> yeah it rubbed it everywhere yeah um touch and go la chive mads milkerson he probably did smell he, nice in the casino but not when he's whacking you with his rope bollock thing oh but then he, <laughs> yeah no but then he's that's pure musk that's yeah. pheromones coming off in yeah. there um, IGN underscore UK feedback at IGN.com who was the which, best and worst smelling Bond yeah, villain I want it, yeah which <laughs> Bond villain stinks by the way we should tell you now uh, feedback we appreciate it we'd love it but we're not going to be reading any new feedback until the new year for reasons that we'll get into later yeah specials are coming you yeah know we've got, we got loads of holiday specials specials um, yeah but I'm, Bond is out I think it's 2nd of April it's early it's, it's April. April yeah uh, I'm well up for it. I do love a bit of Bond. I didn't actually mind Spectre. I know a lot of people don't like it. I think it's fine. It's not Skyfall, but that's the a problem. lot of films struggle to be Skyfall. Most do. Yeah. Uh, God, that's a good film. Yeah, I watched it again last week. Yeah. I should watch it again. But yeah, even like we're talking about, it's not Deacons doing it. It's, um, what's his name? It's the guy who shot La La Land and First Man. Oh. Linus. What's he looking at? Linus Sindgren or something like that? Linus Sandgren. Very yeah. close. Mm-hmm. Or but, Linus, uh, Linus. Even the cinematography in the trailer looks very Skyfall-like. There's it's a got lot the of grain to yeah. it, right? Especially the scenes of Lashana Lynch look a lot like the early scenes of Skyfall where he's infiltrating the uh, like skyscraper building. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm... It's gonna. I. I'm confident that this will be a good film. Yeah. Put it on record. <laughs> Genuinely, like I'm only slightly down on it because I think it does look like they've just gone. Okay, let's just make Skyfall again. But. 
I don't really mind seeing Skyfall again, so no. that's kind of I'm fine. Just, I'm just intrigued to see what uh, Kerry Fukunaga does with this. Yeah, I do wonder if he's come on too late to make enough of a mark. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, it feels like Danny Boyle had already cemented a lot of things. They're just not going to change no. for financial reasons. Mm. Um, I, 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 from what I understand, like I think quite a lot of the script is different, mm. but it, it may be that certain tonal elements remain because I'm, they'd have been put into place. I don't really know how like staffing works in that case. Yeah. If a director mm. comes in, does he bring his own crew of guys that he likes or... Mm. Is he stuck with what Danny Boyle mm-hmm. was going to use in the first place and that kind of thing? I'd love to know. Yeah. And we Email still us about don't that know well. who the theme, theme tune is, who no. it's by. Maybe it's the Rasmus. <laughs> I mean, it would be an outside pick. Yeah, it would be. Actually, quick guess. Go on. Yeah. Oh, no, we've done we've this before. We've done this before. No, fuck well, it I think then. We, me and Matt are both pretty much agreeing Lana Del Rey is yeah. a good choice. Mm-hmm. I just want Tom York to do it properly. Uh, yeah, we do. Everyone does. Yeah. I think that we can speak for everyone on this planet <laughs> when they say they want that. Yes. Or... Give Paul McCartney another go. Oh, I mean, it would be <laughs> One funny. last shot. <laughs> no time to die right now, please. <laughs> Remember when he did a song for Destiny? Yeah. Oh, I'll tell you what, there's, in uh, when they bought Forsaken out, there is a like a cantina that you can go to in Forsaken where the DJ, there is a fallen DJ playing Paul McCartney's song. I thought you were going to say it was Paul well, McCartney as no, the DJ. No, he's playing the Paul McCartney song. It's fucking strange. Oh, that's very weird. <laughs> Anyway, there's another trailer out this week. There is. Can anyone guess what it is? Black Widow. Oh, well done. Thank it's you. It's like you're looking at the running well, I am indeed. <laughs> uh, another film, which I think actually looks very good. Yeah. Yeah, looks great. So, you saw a sneak peek of this, didn't you, you? So I've seen more of one bit of this trailer. Mm. So Comic-Con, they showed the full version, or what appeared to be a full version, of the fight scene between uh, Natasha and Yelena, played by Florence Pugh, which mm-hmm. you see at the start. So I saw her come into that room, um, do a bit of chat like where have you been sister and then uh, that's Florence Pugh's voice I don't know if you we're can tell we're not talking like there's no hints that I've seen some people say some mad stuff that they think it's literal sister I, I, I think it's just what they call each other in I think this is like, a comrade this yeah. is a red room they've both been trained to their limits yeah. you know like Red Sparrow mm-hmm. type stuff yeah. um, mm-hmm. I think they're sisters in yeah. arms so do I um, which explains like the mirroring each other it also explains why people think that Florence Pugh will end up playing Taskmaster because it's a more plausible reason than I've got a photographic memory for (laughs) fighting Um, but yeah so I've seen that fight scene in full and if you think that fight scene looks really borny and brutal Mm. it really fucking is it really does look like a born like it's I think it's it's the most like fighty fight scene since Winter Soldier Mm -hmm. that I've seen in a Marvel film and like they're smashing each other into stuff. Like, I'm surprised. It's one of those ones where you're like, if this was not attached to Marvel, they would have gone all in on, like, how gross the results yeah, of this yeah. fight would be. Well, I mean, um, it is... It's going to have... You'd imagine, unless there's a twist we don't know about, like, it's, there's zero superpowers involved. It's yeah. pretty much... It is like Winter Soldier. is yeah. like a Cold War. Which is yeah. exactly film. what we need, because Winter Soldier... Like, Winter Soldier is my favourite of the standalone Marvel mm. films, you know. Um, and part of that is because, like, when you get fucking hit by Captain America's shield, that looks really painful in yeah. those films. And I like the idea, like, Black Widow, I think they've done well with her, considering where she sits in an ensemble of demigods yeah, and, yeah. you know, men in giant suits of armor. But this is going to be the film that, like, really gets to show off, like, the training in the Red Room 
is fucking rigorous yeah. and it turns you into effectively a super soldier without the serum mm. like being able to see that properly shown off without it being overshadowed by lightning totally agree mm. that's that's really cool and like i what they didn't show us was any involvement of david harbour and so <laughs> yeah so he's been touted since the start as he's playing the red guardian we kind of knew mm. this and red guardian is i didn't know this before this film started getting mm. talked about but he's essentially the russian analog to yeah. captain america but he appears to so everyone went oh he's the bad guy like he'll be on the bad side so everyone assumes the russians are bad yeah but that's what i love is the idea that we get him and it's like oh no this is fat old red guardian yeah. and he's on the good people's side because the cold war's over <laughs> like we're fighting against different things now and that is super interesting to me and also i just love seeing david harbour yeah. be silly and over the top the yeah. great that stood out from that uh was the music from the trailer oh, it's God. unlike any it's not really like a it, comic book movie it's score Blade Runner, that's, isn't it? I, that's exactly why for me mm. remind me of the uh the, the wall from blade runner 2049 <laughs> yeah. that track yeah that sounds amazing i didn't actually i meant to look up who was scoring that but it sounds it, it is a shame though guys it's a shame that black yeah. widow is um just a c- comprehensive ripoff of metal gear solid 3 Oh, I, I, I heard <laughs> about this from the man that thinks he's directing Metal Gear Solid. <laughs> yeah. But there has been absolutely zero confirmation other than one deadline article that yeah. this is happening. Like, Jordan Vogt Roberts is a man that made um, Kings of Summer and Kong oh. Skull Island, both of which I really like. Um, but unfortunately, his opinions are bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> he did this tweet thread, if you haven't seen it, about how... Um, the fact that Black Widow wears at one point a white jumpsuit mm. means she's ripped off from the boss in Metal Gear Solid 3. And then said that the fact that they used close quarters combat, which is like a specific style of fighting that utilizes firearms and hand-to-hand yeah. combat. That in apparently a Kojima developed solely. Yeah. Oh, Kojima invented a military tactic <laughs> that the American army use. Yeah. Um, yeah, and he he made this mad. Con- I'm I will not commit it to memory because it's too stupid and it'll make me stupider for knowing it. But he said something along the lines of, uh, "At what point does homage become strip mining of ideas?" Carefully Says ignoring the, the fact that Kojima steals every <laughs> single thing. That's his, and that's not yeah. me criticizing Kojima. That's his style. He's a postmodern yeah. pastiche. Him being annoyed that he's watched that trailer and gone, "Oh, that's what I want my I Metal Gear do thing it. to be." Yeah, yeah, yeah. like the, it's just a transparently thick thing to say and it really bothered me <laughs> like i, I wish we weren't paying attention to it but we kind of have to <laughs> if you agree with him check yourself <laughs> check yourself indeed uh well that's that's also in may isn't it i think we've got mm, may yes. springtime springtime's looking good for film and between february and May next year is absurd. It's pretty stuff. good. It's too much. I'm excited. I'm excited. Uh, you've seen a film though, Matt, mm. that's out very soon. Well, it's out soon for the Americans. Yeah, we still have to wait. Like, th- I think 10th of January here. Something like that. Yeah, 10th or 15th. That's still soon. Yeah, it's still soon. I've seen 1917. Yeah, mm. the one shot sort of war movie. Yeah, Sam Mendes. So bringing it back, bit of Bond, Bond there. Yeah. Obviously, he's a good filmmaker. He loves yeah. to make a good film. Yeah. He is, and um, old Deakins is in on cinematography. Oh, yeah, that's how they've nicked all the stuff away from Bond. Um, I'm very excited about this film. It should be. It looks incredible. That's it. So I I watched the trailers and was like, you know what? I don't really need more Dunkirk because Dunkirk killed Mm. me and I couldn't deal with it emotionally (laughs) afterwards. But when you came back from the screening, you just couldn't stop. 
Like, it's too good. It's So it's my favourite film of the year. That's and amazing. admittedly, there are a couple of big contenders that I haven't watched yet, so I've not seen Parasite, I've not seen The Irishman yet. Technically, Parasite's a UK 2020, so true, that's fine. Yeah. You're allowed to not yeah. watch that. Um, but So 1917 is a, as the title would suggest, is set in World War One. Mm-hmm. Um, it's from the British perspective. It's about two um, sort of lower-ranking uh, soldiers called Blake and Schofield. And basically, at the very, very start of the film, they are told that there is going to be uh, an attack launched by the British sort of a few miles down from here. And we've discovered that it's it's a trap. The Germans know that the attack is going to be launched and an awful lot of people are going to die. Please take this letter to the captain and tell him to call off the attack. Mm-hmm. And so therefore starts this almost... I hesitate to say it's an adventure film, but mm. to a degree it almost is because it's two people against all odds trying to get from one place to the other. Mm. And so it's not a war film in the traditional Seven Private it's Ryan like planes, mold. trains and automobiles in a trench. <laughs> Just say that. <laughs> Maybe. Um, the thing is, is like it's easy to look at a World War One film and assume it's all going to be about like going over the top and running through fields mm. of mud and machine guns mowing down 100 men a second and stuff like that that's not what this is it's a very it's a much calmer film than that like it's still full of tension because it's two men going through uncharted territory trying to Mm. get to somewhere to against time a real big time pressure um, is but it got it that is... sort of ticking score that Dunkirk has? No, no. Okay. And see, that's why, like, so I think out of the two, Dunkirk is the one that does it for me just because, um, like, the tension that it builds through and the I ticking clock motif. And I think that we motif. know that that is a true story as well, I think, adds that extra bit yeah. of weight. Mm-hmm. Whereas 1917 doesn't necessarily build the pressure that way, but there's certainly pressure. The fact that it's just two men trying to do this and some of the shit they have to deal with is really, like, genuinely either surprising or at times upsetting. Um, War is, isn't it? Well, yeah. And it, what? <laughs> <laughs> it is one of those reminders that, like, World War One was fucking horrible. Yeah. Um, yeah. But um, the 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 thing that ties it all together is that it is, as Joe said, it's it's a one take film, and obviously that doesn't mean it was shot in one take. But the whole film is done to make it look like it never changes scene. It yeah. never cuts. We yeah. call yeah. it a rope like. Yeah. <laughs> um, I like it. I'm very happy with that. Uh, but unfortunately, it is a transparent rip off of God of War, which is the only oh, game ever course. to have done it. So yeah. it's you know it's a work of of theft. Absolutely. <laughs> God damn you, Mendes. Um, I am so I was wary of that first because I do appreciate when things do that, but mm-hmm. only for a reason like. Like I think the Hill House episode that does it is spectacular. I thought yeah. Birdman works very mm-hmm. well, does it amazingly. But like, we don't when need it, to. When do you, when do you make that decision? Like, have you? Do we? I haven't actually read much. Do we know why they decided to do this? Uh, no, I am speaking to Mr. Mendes soon, so we'll ask go. him on your behalf. <laughs> I, I would say, I agree. The idea of doing it for a reason is good. Mm. Have you ever seen a one take thing that wasn't good? I know what you mean. I'm just wondering, like, like, it's more to me, not is it good, it's more, have you done it for a story reason or it's just like, I fancy a challenge. So but I then, think but it, then what what has done that that's just I fancy a challenge and comes across that way? That's what. See, the thing is, I think usually when that decision's made, mm. it's such a tremendously annoying undertaking yeah. that you would be doing yeah. it for the right reasons. Like, God of War does it for the yeah. right reasons and... Uh, there are even just like long one take scenes in films like yeah. the one that always sticks in my head is Children of Men oh yeah like the the one in the car or the one in the, the streets car the one is the one yeah. I think of yeah. more mm-hmm. the one I think was always in Boogie Nights 
uh, with the pool scene. It's not a massive scene, but it's just a really cool shot where mm-hmm. they go like in and out of a pool. Yeah. Well and stuff. So have you seen? I f- it's been a while since I watched it. I think it's called Victoria, the German, the German one. Yeah. yeah. Which obviously is all set on one night. And right. So yeah. that makes it that's the fact and i think that's what 1917 is more Mm. similar to is because it is like this is one horrendous undertaking for two people that Mm. are weighing over their heads and have to deal with so much on their own and it's kind of like that constant a bit like how you know how um a very very different film but in mother like is it like 87 to 90 percent of the shots are just jennifer lawrence's face Mm. and it's kind of it's that, like that, the fact that the camera is always with them. It's just a reminder yeah. that while the war is the big backdrop, this is actually their story, and it's about them and their troubles trying to get to where mm-hmm. they're going. Yes, and um, that sort of constant reminder that that's where you're going with it. But it was never once because obviously you went in knowing that this was a one. Yeah, it was, mm-hmm. it was never distracting. It well, you, no. ever, you were never looking at it going like, how are they? No, I think the thing is, is there are about maybe six obvious points where it was like, this is where the shot change happened. And a lot of that is to do with, I mean, if you can imagine trenches are actually a very good place to do a a one take in because there's, it it funnels you, doesn't it? The trench literally funnels the camera Mm -hmm. and the way that it passes from behind the characters to in front of them and stuff like that is very good. But obviously, it's very difficult to build sets that are trenches and then have the dugouts into them. So when they go into the dugouts, which is obviously them changing to a different soundstage, that's clearly where they do the swap over because the character will walk in front of the lamp to make it go dark for a second. And that's where the transition happens. Um, But and there are slightly more clever ones, which I won't spoil because that's part of the story. Um, And but being able to do that you know how like one take relies on sweeping camera motions Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i think that's where it's a story that's so personal to these two people the way it gets across like the epicness of world war one and that sweeping sort of almost poetry of that era Mm -hmm. is through the way that the camera works rather than it being like these big aerial shots of 1600 men running over no man's land you do get the occasional bit of lots of people running, but that's not what the film's about. So right. it kind of is sort of mechanically showing that rather than physically showing it. It's cool. Yeah, I think it's a like it's an astonishing piece of work. I'm have well you, excited. Have you seen Rope? That's yes. That's like the, the classic like one shot. Like, yeah. I don't know if that was just because Hitchcock had literally mastered that art form. Well, like, that's it. It's <laughs> like yeah. at that time, but, it, mm. that does feel like a challenge, but at the time it was done you're like well that is the reason in and of yeah. itself do you like, know that's the whole stuff amazing. about the backdrop on rope mm-hmm. so you know that like it, so rope for anybody that hasn't watched it is about a man gets murdered at the very very start of the film and he is hidden in a box at this person's party and he's just hidden there for the entire party but the the, the set of that is just inside a house but obviously there's a through the windows you can see what's going on in the street and stuff like that that's literally a giant um like map painting on a big crank board that they rolled around to get the clouds to move <laughs> so like bonkers. It's, it's just like that whole thing of like because you know how like rear window they literally built all of that mm. as like a miniature yeah. and stuff like that it, those little bits that hitchcock was into yeah. i really like it's another piece of feedback that we'll read in a month but it's fine because that's when 1917 comes out have you got any favorite one shot films or, or extended sing- or scenes. extended single shots yeah. yeah that would be really cool yeah or maybe ones that people don't know about yeah that'd yeah. be great recently joe yes you spoke 
to the director of one of this year's best films. In your opinion. And mine. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Joker. Yes. We've spoke, everyone's spoken arguably too much about Joker. Well, let's, uh, let's speak about it. It's a film more. I love, and I'm sick of talking about it. <laughs> so, um, but. You talked. You you talked. I did. Talked. You talked with uh, Todd Phillips. I'd love to talk with Todd. Um, so the reason for this is Joker is coming out digitally on the twenty seventh of January and in physical form on the tenth of February. Mm. So they invited us to have fifteen minutes with Todd, and I was like, oh, well, "Why Might the hell well. not?" Might as well talk to him. The man who made something like eighty million pounds from this film. <laughs> and it is weird when you sit across someone and you're like. You are so You rich. could give me a million pounds right now and it would make no difference to you. Yeah. Apparently he made like 70 million from The Hangover. That was uh-huh. ages ago. Imagine how that much that's gone up in interest. Right. What do you talk to Todd Phillips about? Because he must have been asked every question a hundred times by now. Uh, well, I'll tell you in the course of this interview, I ask him something he's never been asked before because I am insightful. <laughs> ask him what his favourite colour was? I asked him, uh, how you tie up your shoes? You like them? You like that double bow or the single bow rabbit hole? Uh, what did he say? He said he doesn't do them up. Velcro only. Um, Velcro boy. I will say, we're going to play it in a second. I don't know why we're dallying so much. Uh, I will say in advance, peek behind the curtain. Sometimes when you're doing these interviews, your brain goes into automatic, like... I'm just going to carry on talking to you because I have nothing in my brain to say right now and you're smarter than me. There is a bit right at the end of this, and you'll notice it now that I point it out, where we're talking about spoilers, the Joker sequel that probably, maybe, won't happen, who knows. Hopefully not. And, well, this is the point, right? He goes through, I say, the question is, basically, uh, there's been such a huge response to the idea of a Joker sequel, a lot of it positive, Uh what do you think? Uh, is there now more studio pressure to make one? Because I wanted to try and get away from, is it happening or not? You don't know. And he gives me an answer, and it's a very good answer. And then afterwards, for some reason, as I'm being wrapped up, because there's always someone in the background, a PR in the background of these interviews, who at the end of the thing will be like, waving their finger at you to shut the fuck up because they need to get you out. Mm. And so just brain goes into auth- automatic response mode, and I just go, well, I really hope you make one. I don't believe that. <laughs> like, I don't want there to be a Joker sequel. Not because I think it's bad, but because I think it is a good ending to that story. Yeah. Um, so if you hear that and think that sounds weird from me, it is weird from me. It's just my brain kicking in. Um, so, yeah, sorry about that. But anyway, here's the rest of the interview, which is brilliant. So, thank you for speaking to us, Todd. Great, thank you for having me. No worries. Um, I'd love to talk, we were just talking before we got on camera about how nice it is to be able to talk about a movie after it's come out. It yeah. doesn't often happen, that must be right. sort of a pleasure to be able to sort of talk about it in terms that are a bit more concrete than yeah. usual. Yes, exactly. Um, we spent a lot of time before it came out defending the movie that people hadn't well, seen. Yeah. And then that's a hard thing to do. It's a hard space to be in. Well, that's it. I can't think of many movies that were so divisive so far before they came out. And yeah. with the benefit of hindsight, it all seems quite odd that that, that, that happened. Yeah, um, I, I agree. But yeah. I couldn't say that at the time. No, that's yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, how do you feel about that? In a, in a, You can't have had that before, surely. Like, uh, No, I, I haven't yeah. had that before, certainly not to that level of discourse. And, you know, part of me feels like, well, we made a movie called Joker. Mm-hmm. It's all part of that 
mayhem kind of inducing <laughs> right. thing that Joker does to you and to people. Not you, but you know, like to everyone in general. Yeah. Um, so it felt actually appropriate. Thematically. Looking back at it, thematically appropriate. You had this big sort of metatextual response. <laughs> yes. That's pretty good. Well, that's the thing I've had to, in coping with it, that's kind of <laughs> that's the fair. lens I've had to look at it through. Well, I'm sure you're kind of coping a little better now that it's what the biggest R-rated movie of all time. It's probably going to be the biggest DC movie. It's That response has shifted quite fundamentally from, from that early sort of reaction. Yeah. What do you think connected so well about this movie? I think, um, I think a few things. I mean, I think people were ready for something a little bit different. I mm -hmm. think people were ready for something that doesn't go down as easy. You know, mm -hmm. I think a lot of the... Um, movies that we're used to, and I don't even mean just comic book movies, but I think they're kind of like pre-digested and, you know, uh, made to kind of, e made to be easily digestible, mm. so to speak. And this isn't. And I think, you know, in general, we who make movies are guilty of kind of um, underestimating the audience sometimes. And because, um, you know, the biggest notes on this film before we made it were, no, it's too slow. There's no action. You know, the young people aren't going to get it. Young, be, you know, even though it's R-rated, still we're talking 17 to 25-year-olds mm -hmm. are going to be bored by it. And we just kind of kept our head down thinking, no, no, it's okay. People can, um, you can make something different and people will show up. And at the same time, it was a small movie mm. and we weren't really aiming for everybody, you know. Right. And um, I, I, I found in my experience making movies when you aim for everybody, sometimes you're making it for nobody. Right. But when you really focus in on a particular thing or theme or have a really specific tone to the movie, you know, other people will find it. One well, of the movies it's calling back to were, it's sort of a nice reflection of those, not just in the fact that it's, you know, similar in themes and in style and the, in that sort of less easily digestible sense, but that, those were some of the biggest movies in the world at, at that time. Right. It's, it's nice that like you've kind of proved that that can still work. Yeah. You kind of moved away from that idea of the intellectual blockbuster of some kind. Yeah, it's, or, it's or, nice or like these deep dive character studies that I grew up on that we don't make as much anymore. Yeah. And, you know, I've said that to writer friends of mine and director friends. I keep saying, use Joker mm. as ammo when you go into the studio, <laughs> when they tell you that's not going to work or no, it shouldn't be R-rated or oh, it's too slow point to it and mm. use it as ammo. Well, it's interesting, obviously mm. this is a character study and we've heard so much about Joaquin's performance and and it is, you know, it's, it's up there. It's an incredible performance. But some of the stuff that stuck with me sort of sits outside of him. The things that, uh, like Gotham in this movie, like I, f I feel like looking back on it, Gotham must be one of the most changeable film locations <laughs> in film history. It's been gothic, it's been like post-industrial, it's been all these different things and you've created your own Our take own on version. Well. I mean, I think that's what's fun. I think that's what is appealing to directors that step into these movies is how do I put my spin on this mm. world, you know? Um, and I think it's what's appealing to actors stepping into characters like Joker. Yeah. I think it's, you know, regrettably maybe it's a bad thing, but it has become comic books our Shakespeare in a way. Right. And there are five million ways to do Hamlet, you mm -hmm. know, and, and it's always going to attract great actors. And I think Joker is the same thing. If you look at the actors that it's attracted over the years, some of the brightest and best actors yeah. and wildest actors, Jack Nicholson, Heath, Jared Leto, Joaquin, these guys are like 
wild, you know, and yeah. they all have their own point of view. Um, I think that's what's ex what's exciting to them is the same thing as exciting to me as a director coming in, creating Gotham, you know, creating um, the world at which this takes. And, and really what's interesting from what I learned, when you're making a movie, I've never made a character study. I never, I never made a movie about one person. Mm -hmm. When you're making a movie about one person, everything else becomes a character in the movie. Gotham was a character. The the score became a character. You know what I mean. The the um, production design and, and and wardrobe were almost like characters. Uh, so it was really it was really kind of fun. I saw a really interesting. Uh, I think it was uh, something you did with Vanity Fair where you talked about how you digitally filled in backgrounds of streets in Gotham to make it seem like that there were always buildings looming over it. And there yeah. was no space to the horizon right. and that kind of thing. Yeah. I'd love to talk more about what the thinking is for this Gotham, what the, the sort of psychology of this place you're trying to create is. Well, it was really the New York that, that we grew up in, we meaning me, Mark Friedberg, the production designer, Larry, the, the, the cinematographer, the New York of late 70s, early 80s, a, a kind of um, broken down city on the brink uh, where it just feels oppressive and it feels like people are angry mm -hmm. and it's boiling over and there's a trash strike all those things that just kind of can uh make for um a stew to, to right. create somebody like joker and i feel like oddly this is the sunniest gotham we've ever seen there's oh, so yeah. there's so much sunlight despite well there's so much i guess it's a good point i never thought of it so much that takes place in the day yeah yeah and i suppose batman's a big part of that obviously yeah, right you know he, he loves the nighttime night. for some reason. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it kind of feels... That's interesting. It feels odd that you're... It's almost like you're shining light on how disgusting Gotham yeah. is as much right. as anything else. Was that a conscious thought or is that something that just came because no, I mean, of what you were trying really, to No, I mean, really, it's just... Um, it's funny that you bring it up. Nobody's brought that up, but that is interesting. Um, I never thought of it like that. Yeah, we're so used to seeing Gotham at night. Mm. Um, but there's a lot of day Gotham in this, yeah. And another... Part that really stands out to me is how much dance is in this film. Yeah. You don't see a lot of dance in films that aren't musicals anymore. <laughs> and where did that come from? Was that something? Was that, that in the script from the start? That or? was in the script, or I should say, there was I think three instances uh, where he dances in the script. Mm -hmm. um, it was something I had said to Joaquin very early when I was trying to convince him to do the movie, quite frankly. And I was describing Arthur to him, and I was saying, you know. Arthur is one of those guys, he has, um, he has music in him. Right. And that really kind of took hold with Joaquin. And it was illustrated in the script three times where he dances, and then we just kind of kept going with that. <laughs> and I think now there's six times he dances in the movie. Um, but a lot of it was about that metamorphosis and about what does it look like if, you know, the, the, your shadow self is trying to emerge and you're keeping it in. So, you know, the dances get a little bit more more involved as they go on. Right. Um, you know, the first time he's just dancing is when he's got that gun from Randall and he's sort of playing with it and he starts feeling himself, you know. <laughs> and the next time's in the bathroom and it's a little more involved and a little bit more of a metamorphosis. And was that choreographed or is that Joaquin coming up with that? Some or? of them were choreographed. The three that were in the, the script were choreographed I, and then like the one in the bathroom wasn't and we kind of just came up with that on the day or Joaquin came up with that on the day. Um, but yeah, some like the one on the stairs, the, the famous one now, mm -hmm. that, you know, he dances down the stairs. 
that was choreographed with a, with a, our choreographer Michael Arnold and Joaquin worked on that for a while. It does. You've brought up production designers and the score, and and it does seem like there are a lot of these very often forgotten filmic elements, particularly in comic book movies, where they feel almost ancillary to the fact that there are, you know, dozens of characters to concentrate right. on. So you just don't have time. With you don't have time, right, to take in right. all that other stuff. But when you're yeah. just focusing on one person, all of a sudden you're looking at the stairs and the graffiti and the, and the walls, and, uh, you know, everything becomes something. That's really interesting. And yeah. was that something that you had to sort of reckon with? Did it's something I realized early on before we started filming mm. that... that um, and, it, and it's one of the reasons I went to Hilder, the composer, and asked her to start writing music based on the script before we shot anything, because I wanted to have the music on set to play to Joaquin. Because mm -hmm. if you're not doing a scene with somebody else, if there are so many scenes with Joaquin just alone, well, let me put the music on there live, so it's almost like he has something to act against or act with. You That's know? fascinating. Have you, yeah. I haven't heard that before. Have you, That's have you done that? No, I had never done that before. I just sort of started realizing what some of the uh, obstacles were going to be or what I thought would be obstacles. That's really interesting. And I'd also love to talk about his makeup, which is another one of those yeah. those pieces of things that can be forgotten. Mm -hmm. um, particularly, I know a lot of people have drawn associations with John Wayne Gacy's Pogo the Clown mm -hmm. makeup. Was mm -hmm. that a conscious decision or is that it just wasn't. something that I happened? Mean, that makeup is a very basic clown makeup. Yeah. So they're making um, associations with basic clown makeup. Mm. We wanted him to sort of, uh, we wanted Arthur's clown, Carnival, we wanted him to have a very kind of basic look to begin with. Mm. Um, so everything was informed by that first clown look. You know, I remember when we had first put out images of um, Joker on the in my Instagram a year mm -hmm. ago when we were shooting, and people were going, well, why does Joker have a red nose? You know, and I get it, he doesn't have a red nose in the comics, right, yeah. and, but it was all inspired by that clown look. You know, that's how he came up with it, but they didn't know that at the time. Yeah. yeah. And you've talked quite a lot in the past about the fact that what you loved about writing this film is that Joker doesn't have this concrete origin. He right. has this, the multiple choice quote right. that's come up a lot. I'd love to know, A, was that something, was that the first thing that drew you to this, that it was a totally free Yeah, I mean, the first, one of the things that drew me to it is that it, there were going to be no rules to it because mm. there was nothing we had to stick to because we don't know anything about him mm. from b before he appears in the comics or in the movies. So I thought, well, that's, the, the, I've always been attracted to the character of Joker in all mm. the films and Chris Nolan's and and in um, Tim Burton's movies, and even in the comics. Um, but then I thought, boy, this could be, first I thought, is it even legal to do this? <laughs> Can we give him a backstory? Yeah. Or are people gonna be outraged? Um, and then it just became very liberating, yeah. It is kind of fun that like, the majority of fan theories have found ways to, like, they love this origin story, but they still want it to be a story. One, part and, A, right, yeah, now so get, go do B. Right, exactly, so right. they get this sense, and that's, one of the most interesting things I, I saw on the internet was people being like, oh, well, if, if this the mooted sequel happens, it will just be a different origin story right. for the yeah. same one. Is that something that's ever come up? Is no. That a thought? <laughs> but no, you'd like to stick idea. with your one. <laughs> yeah, but that's a, that is a funny, wild idea. Yeah. It's a wild idea. And, like, going back to that idea that this is, like, a, a truly interpretive comic book character, is there anyone else with the potential? Like, have you been drawn to other characters? I'm sure you must now have DC kind of going... 
take what you want. Right. <laughs> like, do what you want with our right. stuff. Is there anyone else that Not, has that potential? I mean, I think there are personally, but mm. there's nothing that I've been drawn to, no. Right. right. And I know we've you've talked previously about this idea of the DC Black label that mm-hmm. at one point was coming up. And you talked about the idea of different directors taking on different character yeah. studies and that kind of thing. Yeah. Who did you have in mind for that kind of thing? Did or was it more had, freeform? Had, was no, it? it wasn't freeform. I had, I pitched it as three movies, Joker mm-hmm. being the first with me, and then these two other movies with two other directors. But I don't really want to name. Oh, it that's fair. Because then it'll become a thing. Yes. And then I'm I'm pulling these directors into it when I've never even told them about it. <laughs> it was just me telling Warner Brothers. Right. You know. I think it's just I, I'm like not digging in any way. I think it's just the 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 lure of getting more of this kind of movie. Like, you know, we have comic book movies as they are, and they're going to stay that way right. for the foreseeable future. Right, that was my It was like, you have that over there. Let's mm. just do this over here. I mean, I still think it's a great idea. Well, that's it. But, so, I mean, I'll be honest with you, their argument, and no, that wasn't an argument, but their mm. thing is there's no, re- there's no reason to create uh, its own label. There's no reason to go to all that trouble just... When we want to do one of these kind of movies, we'll do it. You know, just like Joker is, and I get that. But I also thought it was just kind of cool, like if it became a thing. Well, it's you know, very like comic book but Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's very alternate universe. Exactly. And all that yeah. Kind of stuff. Yeah. And just to finish up, uh, obviously, you have refuted some of the Joker two rumors out there in right. the sense that they were reported. Yeah. But is there a is there now a push at the studio level, especially with the, the positive reaction to the, the fake news? Yeah. Like, is there now people kind of going, oh, well, everyone wants this. So. Well, I mean, there was even before that came out, obviously, mm. a movie does that kind of business and, and is, is sort of became that beloved around the world. They had talked to us about it. Um, Joaquin and I had spoken about it anyway, when we went, as far back as when we were shooting the movie. But in all honesty, we haven't, we haven't, gone any further on it mm. even Warner Brothers hasn't I think they're just giving us time and yeah. you know if we if we can figure it out and, and if Joaquin's down to do it we'd, we would do it but we haven't gotten near that yet well I really hope you do I think that's all the time we have well I think you know some people really think we shouldn't and I understand that as well mm. you know you're saying like people's reaction to it like it's all positive some of it is like no no please don't ruin it with a sequel and I understand that too well, it's interesting. I'm being wrapped up. Okay, so sorry. I, I'm, a, I'm apparently not allowed to talk anymore oh, about okay. this, but thank you so much for your time. Yeah. Cheers, man. Thank you. Smile, though your heart is aching. Smile, even though it's breaking. Todd Phillips is a lot uh, nicer than I thought he'd be. I thought, not in a, I thought he'd be mean. I just mm-hmm. thought he'd be quite downbeat. No, but, because his films are so cynical. <laughs> well, I've just seen he he's got a tone that's very like dry. It's mm-hmm. quite cold. And I think it, it sells the idea that he's like quite a cold man, but actually yeah. I think that's just how he speaks. When yeah. we were speaking, he was like smiling and laughing quite a lot. It's nice. Yeah. He's a good guy. Um well, he has a sense of humor. Whether it's your sense of humor, mm-hmm. isn't he? he has a sense of humor. The hangover is a comedy classic. Yeah. Come on. Um I or, my favourite bit of that interview which we have uh, talked about in advance of this, is yeah. that bit where he talked about um, the idea of his DC labels pitch. And I'd never heard... I've, I've heard him say before he wanted to make DC Black as a label of down-and-dirty character studies of DC characters with interesting directors. Down and dotty. Um, some people have said he said that was only for villains, but I've never seen him actually written down having said that. So, 
he said he had two films in mind with two directors, but he wouldn't tell me who they were. So I asked you two and myself to come up with ideas, mm. pitches for the two films and the two directors. It's like a feature. I couldn't put myself as the director either. Absolutely not. You no. couldn't. Because uh, you would make <laughs> filth. <laughs> um, you don't want to know what I'd do with the penguin. <laughs> <laughs> Cobblepot's Cobblepot. Oh. Um, yeah, so we've all got our two pitches. I've realised I've written quite a lot for one of these, yeah, so I've I might done, cut it down a bit. Uh, That's your thing. You write lots. I do. Let's go into... Cardi, I'd like to hear yours first. I wonder who the director is. I'm tempted to go the other one. No, first, you have to do no, the one that's obvious. Um, the Paul... suspense. <laughs> What's the opposite of suspense? Because that's what this is. <laughs> the inevitability yeah. of Paul Thomas Anderson yeah. directing a DC film. Yeah. Fuck me. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> Paul Thomas Anderson is going to make a Jimmy Olsen film. Yeah. He, If you don't know who Jimmy Olsen is, he is the... Young photojournalist, uh, go-getter attitude. Uh, young what? man <laughs> of the Daily Planet. Mm. Superman's friend. Yeah. Or in Supergirl, he's a really hot stacked black dude. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> well, Legend. Well, I tell you, he wouldn't be in mine because I'm casting either Jesse Plemons. <laughs> yeah. Or Barry, is it Barry Keehan? Barry Keehan? I don't know. You're going to say Barry shit piece. <laughs> <laughs> Who's Barry Keehan? Um, the... Boy from Killing of a Sacred Deer or Dunkirk. Oh. Yeah, he's weird, isn't he? Mm, Irish. Yeah. Okay. Um, he has, yeah, one of those creepy faces. So my, um, he's just a very good actor. You're saying that Jimmy's a creep? Is it? Is he a voice? This is, this is what we're going for. Um, and Jesse Plemons, he can play a creep. Oh, I <laughs> he's would. He's best when he's a creep. It's, it's been so long since Jesse Plemons played that guy in Game Night. Yeah. <laughs> I just want that character That's kind of all the basing. time. But he's, imagine him, but with a, with a camera. Ooh. It's kind of a bit like one hour photo in a Superman world. I, I, so does it end with Superman punching him in half? See, we have, <laughs> we've, we've, we've not gone into full plots here, so I don't, I don't want to flip. I'm, I'm not writing the film. No. Come on. This is Paul Thomas Anderson's job, not mine. Um, but it's sort of that tone, I think. I don't think he'd be a down... He wouldn't be an actual villain. He'd be like a grey area character. Of course like, he would. It's Peter similar, similar, Yeah, it'd be like a similar tone to Inherent Vice, sort of like a bumbling through. Like I'm thinking like it's his first week on the job of the Daily mm-hmm, Planet mm-hmm. and he's getting to know everyone. He's trying too hard. He's bumbling through life. Has I have yet to decide whether Superman would be in it or if he'd just be a background. Uh, I feel like he'd just be... It would have atmosphere. to be that it would have to be that Clark Kent's there, oh, yeah. and he's fucking amazing at his job, and everyone loves him. Yeah. But you and so you know as the audience what that means. Yeah. But to Jimmy, he's just like idol slash jealousy figure. Right? I think so. Yeah. Maybe he's got he's into Lois Lane. He's kind of got he's taken a lot of photos. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's yeah. a creep, basically. <laughs> I'm making a profile. Yeah. He'd so say. It's either, uh, it's either Barry from Killing of East <laughs> Killing of Eastenders. I was about to be Barry from Eastenders. Is Jimmy? I mean, is that Jimmy would work too. That is my. If Jimmy Olsen was yeah. in fact I'm a changing. middle-aged like creepy yeah. old man, yeah, ba- which kind of works. Barry from Eastenders is Jimmy Olsen and Danny Anderson's <laughs> Jimmy. <laughs> in, it's in yeah, it's just called Jimmy. Yeah, and yeah, Danny Dyer is Superman, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's my first pitch. I like that. Nice. <laughs> We're going to do one each and yeah, then yeah, go yeah, around Matt, again? Right, here okay. Yours. So mine is Luther. Okay. Yep, 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 of, yep. of Lex Luther, uh, directed by David Fincher. 
Yes. Um, written by it's Jesse gonna Armstrong. Be a murder. Written by Jesse Armstrong. Yeah. It's going to be a murder. Mm. I've so done a bad murder. The, the idea is, is so um, Brian Cranston plays a aged, like a full-up aged. Mm-hmm. I think I'd actually sort of like push his age. Yeah. Like maybe do de-aging, but the other way. Aging. And he, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> fuck. <laughs> um, with CG. Um, yeah. And it's sort of like uh, a framing sort of device. Um, and it's him at the end of sort of like his power trip. Okay. okay. Uh, looking back. And his younger self is played by Jeremy Strong, who is Kendall from um, Succession. Okay. Yeah. And it's basically sort of like about his rise to power, sort of bringing LexCorp up. And mm-hmm. um, it is effectively a... Succession. Well, a little bit, but it's more of a... It's a boardroom sort of based drama going about Lex Luthor social network sort of yeah basically that's, that's where cool. the thing but you've got but um, you wouldn't have Jesse Eisenberg in the no, social network no <laughs> I can't I can't go that way yeah. um, so it is mostly about like Luthor and his sort of yeah. like you know effectively a rich man being an absolute twat yeah and ruining sort of like you know metropolis and stuff like that through Mm -hmm. deals and stuff like that um his adversary is obviously superman but Mm -hmm. it's clark kent he's not portrayed as superman you obviously as the audience going in know who this person is yeah but you never get to see it from his perspective so all you know is there's this incredibly talented journalist Mm -hmm. that's ruining all of Lex. He always seems to be in the right place. Is he played yeah. by Barry from EastEnders? I was going to say, is there room for Barry from EastEnders <laughs> in this project? Could be a crossover eventually. I mean, we could probably find a place for him. Maybe yeah. there's like a, like a, a low-down sort of thug that's going and sort of like... A henchman. Yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, it's kind Poor of... Poor old is. Sean Williamson. <laughs> so there's a bit of violence to sing. it. There's, yeah. yeah. But it's more about the strings that are being pulled. Okay. I like that. Sounds oh. good. All right, boys. Give it. Put your big boy trousers Ooh. on because it's time for Damien Chazelle's Damien, as in Damien Wayne. Nice. Oh, right. I thought, uh, it was, I thought it was a biopic about him. Well, oh. I'd do that too. <laughs> um, do you know much about Damien Wayne? He's the son, the genetically engineered son of Batman and Talia al Ghul. Mm. Um, who, He's a little shit as well. Exactly. <laughs> so I think Damien Chazelle, at his best for me, is... Do it, is in Whiplash and to a certain extent First Man these like studies of obsession and selfishness mm-hmm. or to an extent oh, selfishness that's in La La Land as well I think. yeah to, to a point mm-hmm. I just don't like it as much um, La La Land's I know. fluffier right yeah so, exactly it's, it's not it's not about one. that mm-hmm. um, and I think that Damien Wayne is at first I was thinking just Miles Teller again because yeah. he's a mm. prick <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, but what's he up to I don't know. Since Fantastic Four. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking either you you push it one way, Chalamet, Timothée. Oh. I was thinking of him for one of mine. But. So Chalamet, I was thinking, would be the kind of like, sort of the wimpier kid, moody, like he's, he's upset. Basically, the idea is that you've got Damian Wayne, who is... Hmm. As capable and as smart as his father, but is constantly in his shadow and has this ruthless streak that his dad doesn't have. Okay. So he's constantly trying to outdo Batman and prove himself. It's essentially like a son driven to outdo his father to get his father's Imagine approval. Him a lot like his character in Ladybird, just a moody little teenager. Yeah, and he's just, but he just keeps fucking up and doing stuff increasingly wrong and then getting this monomaniacal desire to like outdo Batman to the point at which he snaps and becomes a villain. I could see Shalomite. He could, I reckon he's sort of actually could do anything. So the Chalamet, I think, could do that. Yeah. The other side of that, for me, if you want like 
to have the the more like truly evil side of him shine through a bit more. Barry from Eastenders. Barry from Eastenders. <laughs> uh, Will Poulter. Yeah, Ooh, I could see he's that because well. he? he's got those big eyebrows. Weren't there, rum- <laughs> weren't there rumors before Pattinson that Poulter might was up for Batman, or did uh, I make that maybe. up? Oh, I don't know. Maybe. I could, I could see that. But me? I really like Will Poulter's face, mm-hmm. and I reckon he'd be, yeah. he'd get that like, he can switch. I think in a face from like innocence to evil, yeah, quite quickly. He's got like a baby face with danger in it, yeah. <laughs> uh, and so that's basically it. It's more, it's less about like what happens in the film than the fact that it is this study of a son do constantly fucking up being good mm-hmm. and actually turning out worse. Yeah. And I think that would be really interesting. I like the sound of that, Joseph. So do I. Thank you. Yeah. Second from you, Why Cardi. Why are all these being made? My second is Deathstroke. Oh, okay. by I'd Gar- almost thought of doing a Deathstroke. By one. Gareth Evans of The Raid. I was going to do the same <laughs> one. <laughs> Genuinely, Deathstroke with Gareth Evans. Oh, That'd be good. Um, and playing Deathstroke, Lakeith Stenfield. I was going to cast Lakeith Stenfield. <laughs> <laughs> This is brilliant. <laughs> uh, well, where do we go from here? It's, uh, this would be an origin story. I love Lakeith And it would Stanfield. be the origin story of him in the Vietnam War. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it would be, I would cast, because he is a villain, but I would cast him more of an like a more of a grey area character again, more of an anti-hero. We kind of is that in quite a few representations, right? He is, but right? I think he's more of a He's no more. Well, he's like, a villain of the Titans, suic- isn't he? There's a Suicide Squad kind of connection there, mm-hmm. so... But um, basically, yeah, he's in the Vietnam War and it's more of a, it's your typical Vietnam, like, he's in the war and then he realises, am I on the right side here? And it's more, he's just working out his own plan and he just goes rogue. It's kind of got Apocalypse Now. Imagine Apocalypse Now, but with the raid fight scenes. Yep. Go on him. Yes. That's, that's the film. Yes, Brando please. doing him. <laughs> <laughs> I think... uh, with Barry from EastEnders playing... Viet Cong. <laughs> <laughs> All of them. <laughs> All of them. Um, I just want to put it out there that I think Lakeith Stanfield's the most exciting actor in the world. He's good. I absolutely love him. I still haven't seen... Um, sorry, sorry to bother you. Yeah, sorry to bother you. It, that is a very weird film. Yeah, I do need to watch him. Uh, but yeah, yeah, that is... That. And I had a third. Are we, oh, should we, uh, we'll wait, because I've, I've got a one-liner okay. as well. Uh, Matt, your second. Right. Hellblazer. Okay. I don't know much about Hellblazer. Right, so Hellblazer, many people might know it as Constantine. All right, know is, it. There we go. Yeah. Keanu Reeves. Uh, just well. say that. Just say that. But the comics are called Hellblazer <laughs> and the film is called Hellblazer. He's a good lad, he gets it. Uh, directed and written by Mike Flanagan. Okay, yes. Um, I'm in. Uh, Constantine himself, played by Dan Stevens. Yeah, okay. There we go. Finally, it took me a while to get that casting down, yeah. but yeah. Because um, he, he's quite like skinny and lithe, isn't he? The, yeah, the original comes mm-hmm. just like Barry from <laughs> correct. Uh, and so obviously this is a it's it's a horror film, um, but it's a it's a very kind of down to earth sort of potentially is it is it real curses is it sort of because the whole idea is is um, like John Constantine himself is actually a con man mm-hmm. so it's the whole thing of like is he constant I get it now uh, there we go but is he sort of you know is he conning his way through sort of life or whatnot mm-hmm. but the whole again this has a framing mechanic it's him in an insane asylum um, looking back on what and this is based on a comic thread as well mm-hmm. um, whereas my other stuff isn't uh, and basically one of the most famous Constantine stories is the idea that um, 
So he's British, if anybody doesn't know. Um, and basically, the, one of the incidents was is he accidentally had a girl get killed in in an incident in Newcastle because he let a demon get to her, basically. Right. And so this is him. He's failed to save Astra. He's now gone into free fall and he's stuck in this kind of mental sort of state where he's being treated and it's him sort of trying to figure out and deconstruct his own character and mm-hmm. realize where he went wrong where he's gone right and the demons that he's let in and that literally turns into it's the physical demons that he's let in and i think flanagan would be phenomenal so at that. much of flanagan mm. stuff's about regret yeah mm. it really works. that's the thing yeah and guilt and stuff yeah. like that banger i love that uh what you got darren aronofsky's bane Ooh. Now, I'm just going to read out everything I've got in order because I put too much work into it. <laughs> I start off with, look, this is basically because of the wrestler, but hear me out. <laughs> Barry from EastEnders. <laughs> Barry from EastEnders. We re-engineer Bane's backstory a little bit. Eduardo Dorantz is still forced by a corrupt government in Santa Prisca to live out. Sorry, who's playing him? Uh, oh, sorry, it's Dave Bautista. I can see that, yeah. Because, yeah. like... He's got the. He's obviously he's got, got to have the, the muscles. He's got, he's got the, the shape. shape. But I think that little performance in Blade Runner twenty forty nine proves mm-hmm. that he can do serious and yeah. like not over the top. Mm-hmm. And he had these lovely little glasses. Like, I yeah. love those glasses so much. The fact they're so wiry, it looks like he's going to rip them in half when yeah. he takes them off his face. Anyway, uh, Eduardo Durans is still forced by a corrupt government in Santa Prisca to live out his childhood in a prison and becomes the muscle bound freak we all know and love. <laughs> But when he's finally released after a, rev- after a revolutionary coup, he's let out into the world, but is disappointed by what he finds. It's kind of Scarface-y. Interesting. He's stuck in... I didn't think of that. <laughs> he, he's stuck in a series of dead-end jobs, never making ends meet, until he attends a luchador wrestling match and becomes transfixed. <laughs> <laughs> he's immediately taken in. He works his way through the industry, so we get this like potted history of Bane yeah. becoming a celebrated wrestler. Um... Becoming a celebrated luchador, I should say, mm. who names himself Bane. He travels to Gotham, a wrestling hotbed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've that. I think it's like the idea is he's invited from Santa Prisca to join what is, whatever Gotham's version of the WWE is. Yeah. Like he becomes mm. the the hottest star in luchador wrestling, and then he's joining the big show. Do you know that Bob Kane came up with Gotham, the name Gotham, by because he was shopping one day and someone just asked him, "Got ham?" Question mark. Sorry, what? <laughs> While in Gotham, Bane is offered performance-enhancing drugs, but unfortunately, they're not the steroids that old Vinnie McMahon allegedly loves so much. They're Venom, the insane mega drug that makes him homicidal and hallucinogenic. Then the wrist, the wrestler switches more into Requiem for a Dream and Mother, oh an increasingly dark and surreal version of what Bane is going through. He accidentally kills other wrestlers during matches. And he becomes driven to murder. And the final shot is probably of a young Eduardo play fighting. And it would be really, really sad. <laughs> <laughs> and then the Rasmus starts playing. And then the Rasmus comes on. <laughs> Barry Williams. <laughs> Barry from EastEnders is singing, singing it. It's a cover version of the Rasmus yeah, of by in the Barry Shadows. Williams. Wow, I'd watch that. Uh, and mine's less a one-liner of the third one. It's just a title. Hmm. Because I found out there's a character in DC Comics called Aqualad. Yeah. Guy Ritchie's Aqualad. Oh, yeah. Aqualad? Aqualad? <laughs> um, what is Aronofsky up to? Don't know. Shall I look it up? Yeah, of You he... read out your one-liner. Yeah. He's dealing with um, his trauma after Mother. <laughs> my, yeah. my one-liner is Wes Anderson's Crypto the Superdog, voiced by Kieran Culkin. <laughs> oh! <laughs> yes! Yeah. That's your best idea! <laughs> 
<laughs> I thought you were going to do Crypto the Superdog. No, I know in my no, head no. that you'd. Oh, was that the one you the thought dog? I was definitely going to do? Yeah, I was like, you you would pick the dog. I it do was either that dog. or Detective Chimp. Yeah, no, no, no. I like the no. idea of an Isle of Dogs, but with superpowers. Yeah. Uh, and Kieran Culkin would be a good little dog, just constantly oh, yapping away. He'd be horrible. Yeah. I don't know what he's working on, actually. Maybe it's Spain. He's producing a film called Serendipity. Did that come out? There was a film. Oh, this year. That's the uh, McConaughey one, isn't it? The terrible. Oh, well, he was executive producer on that. What's he doing? Anyway, get on Bane. What's n- oh? I forgot Aronofsky did Noah. <laughs> yes. Oh God, yeah. Oh yeah, that's weird, isn't it? Oh, we all have our bad things. Well, that was a long section that about was. cool films that will never happen. Yeah. This ad. We talked a lot about films and games. Matt, you're going to take us on a slight tangent. Mm. Briefly tell us about a board game. Yeah, so uh, you may well know um, that there's a Kickstarter on at the moment for Divinity Original Sin, the board game, yeah. based on the Larian RPG, which mm. hopefully many of you might have played because I've banged on about it quite a bit I on this podcast. I played the first hour and I haven't touched it since, but I'm thinking over Christmas. I'm thinking much the same. I've got it on Switch and haven't opened it yet. And yeah. I adore that game so mm. much. And the interesting thing about the board game version of it is that it sort of is like playing the video game, but you get to do it around a table with and you friends. you see human faces. I know, right? In the flesh. And you can touch them. I know. If I you know. want. Yeah. Or if they let you. Yeah, yeah. You get, shouldn't just touch consent. people's faces without asking. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I just lunged at Cardi. <laughs> I felt it. Uh, yeah, so Larian came to London to, to do a little bit of a test, and uh, the game is currently in like its final stages of prototypes. I think it's probably got a few months left until they finalise it up. But basically, it is. Um, it could very easily have been just a Dungeons & Dragons-style RPG, right? Because that's what it's going for in the video game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you can't really translate that backwards, because then all of the f- cool stuff about Divinity, which is actually finding the gaps between rules and exploiting that. Mm. So, for example... Um, Knowing that if a if you've got an undead person in a party, um, that means that healing stuff will damage them. But mm. it does know that if you've just got a bank full of um, poison potions, just smashing one of them over his head will cure him. Right. It's kind of like rope an undead person at a party. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Um, so all of those little ruley bits come into the board game because it's more of a choose-your-own-adventure style that thing. great. Mm-hmm. So imagine reading a choose-your-own-adventure book, but that is created as a board game. So what you have is there's like a round section in the middle, um, and per each quest, you'll put down a series of location cards that the quest demands gets put on the board, um, and you choose where you want to go on those and you flip them over and then it tells you what's there so it might be in this area you find uh, Barry from EastEnders yeah, in a swamp Barry, Barry from EastEnders is in a swamp <laughs> dressed as Shrek dressed as Shrek <laughs> and he's like do you want some cheese <laughs> yeah and then, and and then, then you I'm thump in. him and then you could thump him yeah or you could buy the cheese from him cast lightning <laughs> yeah. on the water and kill yeah, him immediately yeah, exactly all of that um <laughs> And it brings in all of the stuff like, uh, so in our test, what an image. <laughs> uh, in our test uh, scenario, one of the ones was we went to a stables and it had got horses in it. Well, one of our oh, Cardi is just crying. I lost it. Well, it's because I'm hoping like you, like me, <laughs> the thumbnail? You, you have decided the thumbnail will be Barry, Barry Williamson, <laughs> uh, Barry Williams, Sean Williamson as Shrek. <laughs> You'll only be able to see that on IGN.com, so you'll have to go and check it out. Uh, I hope yeah. you've got time this afternoon. We've got to go out soon. I have. Got tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. 
Uh, so yeah, um, what was it? Oh yeah, so there was a stable and it got horses in it. Well, one of our people in our party had got the pet pal skill from the game, which means you can talk to animals. Mm-hmm. So obviously we got information out of horses. So it's got all of that kind of like where you go, what you can do in those areas will depend on the sort of characters you've built. That's cool. You literally do build the characters like you do in the video game. You have um, literally there's like a piece of cardboard that you have in front of you, which like is imagine like a little file that opens and you put like there's a pad of character sheets in it Mm -hmm. and you rip one of those off and you add your points together. So it's like, I want higher defense in magic or whatever. And you put that into that like clamp it shut and that's how you track it you've got action points like you do in the video game you literally have a deck of cards mm. which are your your skills mm. so if you want to cast like fireball you'll cast that and then at the top of your hud for lack of a better word you put a card in it oh i'm moving my microphone um <laughs> so animated I know. you put your card then into like a cooldown slot and then each turn that card yeah. runs down the cooldown Is slot this, this sounds like a lot for someone who isn't au fait with yeah. the video game would you say it's a daunting board game to open up and start playing? Almost so. Like, it is one of those, it's a very physical board game. So you've got, like, I think... Aren't they, like, literally like hundreds of cards yeah, yeah, or something yeah. like that? And Bloody you've got, obviously, all the damage tokens. It's got, um, like, Warhammer-style miniatures for all of the characters that you play as. Um, it's obviously got the board itself. You've got all of your cards for your abilities, when you go to shops, you obviously buy items. So then you get literal inventory cards. Mm-hmm. Can you buy it's, a cheese? I've well, there is literally a cheesemonger character in it, Fucking so I would hell. assume you can buy cheese. Barry! <laughs> in in Divinity Original Sin One, there is a cheesemonger character that's very, very famous for just shouting different types of cheese at you. Sounds good. So he was a stretch goal, and he has been met. Um, <laughs> uh, you can also play as a cat in it if you want. All right, but yeah, it's got it is effectively an analog version of that game. Um, hmm. But it's done as a choose-your-own-adventure rather than... Like, you don't need a Dungeon Master because you literally... The Dungeon Master mm. is a book. I feel weirdly yeah. more drawn to the board game than I do the video game. It sounds really yeah. I've had a real finicky in a nice yeah, way. I've had a for board games recently. So I don't know. I think Christmas time is a time where you... Yeah. Love a good board game. Let's play some more board games. Let's play this one. Yeah. Well, we can't yet. Yeah. Well, fuck yeah. it. <laughs> if you, do you know what we can play, Niall? <gasps> End of yeah. search. Yeah. Okay. Inside. It's a UK IGN crew. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and the ones and twos. We got the games gonna play for you. Inside. I got a question for you. Hold tight, the DJ, we're coming through. Yeah, yeah, and the ones and twos. We got the games gonna play for you. Inside. I got a question for you. Is it endless search? Right. This week's endless search comes with an apology to one Richard Pym. Like the Pym particle? It Ooh. is Richard Pym. Richard Pym wrote to us uh, last week. when uh, Was it last week? The week before when we asked for more uh, suggestions. And he said, I emailed with a game a few weeks ago. I just wanted to make sure that my email came through okay. Richard, it did. It's just the problem was we were too stupid to understand your game. And after putting, in, it. After putting in some study, I finally understand your game. The Trendless Lurch, it's called. Mm. Right. Now, this is going to sound complicated. <laughs> But I promise it's easier than you think it is. Because Richard has put in more work than anyone else making this game. He's created a spreadsheet with, like, special algorithms. Um, The idea is you get a region and a timescale. So let's say USA 2010, right? Okay. Within that time, you're looking at searched for terms. So in this case, the three terms are Toy Story 3, Harry Potter, Deathly Hallows Part 1, and Inception. Okay. 
each of you will choose one of those terms. They can be the same terms if you like. So say you both picked Inception. Yeah. You would then have to guess. You described this well. How much of the pie chart of searches that took up compared to the other two? Mm-hmm. So you might guess 50% and you might guess 40%. Inception got searched 62% of those three. Bloody hell. Right? So Inception's I big. I guess that. The lower your score is the closer you are to that. And the lower your score, the better. Okay, so, so it's like golf. If you said 50, you'd get 12 points. And if you said 40, you'd get 22 points. That would mean you know Carly's winning. You know how sounded daunting. <laughs> this isn't daunting. It's easy. It's nah, just there's lots of bits. It, I don't think it is. I think once you do one, it all becomes very So we'll apparent. do one. Let's do... You do one. All right. Region. USA. Yeah. Timescale, 2008 till present. Okay. Oh, long right? time. Long Ooh, time. Long time. <laughs> uh, that sounds like it's in our jingle. <laughs> um, the three terms. Game of Thrones... Stranger Things, Breaking Bad. So, you get to choose one of those each. And again, guess which of them is the most searched for. Or no, oh, no. how much they've been searched for yeah, of those three. Yeah, we can pick one. Yeah, yeah, sorry, say, sorry, sorry. 2008. 2008 till now. Right. That's a hard one. Uh, this this spreadsheet is so amazing, Richard. Well done. Stranger Things. You're going to go Stranger Things? Yeah. I, wanna... I was going to go Stranger Things You both go well. Stranger Things. Yeah. What are you guessing? Do we take turns each time? Do you want to go first this time? So, okay. Yeah. Um, I think 18%. 18? I was going to go exactly the same. That's weird. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go like, I'm going to go 16%. 16%. The amazing thing about this spreadsheet is I get to press show answers and then it does all the working out for me. <gasps> Boys, you're very good at this game. I mean, very good at this in, in <laughs> yeah. instance. So, of those three, Game of Thrones got searched 61%. Breaking Bad got searched 20%. Strange Things got searched 19%, oh. which means that Cardi scores three and Matt scores one, which is go. almost as good as you can do. Wow, there we go. Does everyone understand now? Yeah. Do you feel the like reason, people yeah, at home will get I, this? Yeah, I went Strange Things because I thought the other two would be the top two. Well, yeah, because yeah. like, of the time period, right? So 2008 is Breaking Bad. Yeah. Because yeah. then Game of Thrones was, what, 2010, was it? Yeah, something along those lines, yeah. yeah. All right, round two. I get it. The region. Are there five of these, by the way? Six. Six. The region, UK. The timescale, 2006 till present. Okay. The terms. The prestige. <laughs> the dark knight. An inception. Ooh. Pick your terms. I'm going to go. This is fun because this is, this is working out. Not only what you think it is, but what you think the relative yeah. states of each of them are. I'm which go, is why it's so confusing. I'm going to go Dark Knight. Dark Knight. Matt? Inception. Inception. I like that we've got different ones this time. Okay. Dark Knight numbers. What are we talking? 44. 44. I, I love getting to write them in. 32. 32. For, in- for Inception. For Inception. Yeah. Interesting. The Prestige. 9%. The Dark Knight, you guessed 44, 51, 7 points. That's terrible. Pretty good, which means you're on a total of 10 points. Yeah. Inception, oh, 50. you guessed 32, mm-hmm. 40. 40. You score 8 points, which leaves you on 9. You're so good at the game! <laughs> I love this! Richard, I'm so oh. sorry we took so long to play this. It's a banger. Here we go. Now we're talking, we're getting weird. Region, China. Ooh. Ooh. Timescale, 2019. This year. The terms Apex Legends, Fortnite, and PUBG. 
Oh, uh, not even one of the ones they like. <laughs> <laughs> Carly looks like he's been struck by inspiration. I'm going PUBG. PUBG? Oh, that was what I was going to go for. Go PUBG. Go for as well? Yeah, PUBG. Oh, you get to go first this time anyway. Mm-hmm. You get to say your thing first. PUBG. I reckon 68%. Sixty. So weird. I was gonna go sixty-five. Sixty-five. I go sixty-five. Yeah. It's blue wide. hole, isn't it? So it's uh, it's closer to their region. <laughs> You're both so good at this. <laughs> Apex Legends, six percent. Fortnite, twenty-eight percent. PUBG, sixty-six. Hey. Oh. Cardi scores one. Matt scores two. You are both on eleven <laughs> points. This is amazing. <laughs> oh, I'm so happy. Stats, eh? Question four. Who said they were ever boring? <laughs> Region, UK. Yeah. Timescale, 2016. Just 2016. Just 2016. The terms. Overwatch, Rainbow Six Siege, Football Manager. Oh, that's the... This was just UK, wasn't it? Just UK, 2016. Oh, he's uh, a smart one. <laughs> <laughs> uh... going overwatch of course you are i've just realized that richard's updated this there's some very recent ones on here since mm. anyway huh i'm going overwatch overwatch i'm gonna go rainbow six okay Overwatch. watch was your percent 45 oh my god sorry i've just realized there's a box to show the running scores <laughs> richard you're incredible can you like make spreadsheets for us to do our jobs uh, 45 for Overwatch. 45 for Overwatch. UK 2016. Rainbow Six, what are we talking? Uh, 12%. 12%. I was going big for Overwatch just because that was out in May, and the other two are normally out in November, December, were they? Yeah, so. but I think for Football Manager is just a, a generic term, right? Yeah. So. Oh, that is true. But I don't, I'm not very good at anything. Uh, so, football, football Manager it is specifically the, the game. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, he has written game in brackets. I yeah, but I don't that think could mean any don't. football manager game. It didn't well, yes, necessarily true, mean the 2016 could, version. could be the first one where one of us is way off. Mm-hmm. Neither of you is way off, but we have moved into a situation <laughs> where someone is definitively in the lead. <laughs> Overwatch. You guess 45. Yeah. 55. Whoa. Rainbow Six. You guess 12. Mm-hmm. 14. Fuck. There's a reason you run news for us. <laughs> you get it. <laughs> that's Cardi on 21, Matt on 13. That's still, that's still, still time. There are two more. I, uh, we've got two more. Uh, Could fluff it up. Mate. I know I keep Could saying it. it. Richard, I love you. <laughs> I'm really sorry you took so long to do this. I am really excited. Region, USA. Timescale, August 2019. Mm. Fucking hell. Okay. January, February, March, April. June, July, what? August. That's a 31 days. <laughs> <laughs> I can only count days of things using my knuckles. Anyway, do you know that? Do you know that trick? I just do 30 days. I don't. I don't. I can never remember what that is. Here we go. Uh, <laughs> USA, August 2019. The Mandalorian, Dark Crystal: Age of Resistance, or Carnival Row. Uh, it's a, a prime Amazon, original yeah, with okay. Cara Delevingne and Orlando Bloom. I yeah, think. it came out uh, okay. around that time it, it, in mm. the US. It was a bigger okay. deal over there. Is you first? Um, where, what region is this? UK? USA. USA. Oh, USA. August. 
I'm trying to think if there were any. What was going on in August? <laughs> What's going on? I think I was wrong about this being updated since he sent it, by the way. I'm going to say The Mandalorian. Okay. I'm going to go Dark Crystal. Really? Dark Crystal. Okay. Uh, Mandalorian, your guess, Matt? 47%. I'm going to go 29. 29 for Dark Crystal. This is very interesting indeed. <laughs> the Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. You guessed 47. 26. Oh, 26%. Percent. Fuck, that means one of them is big. <laughs> Dark Crystal, Age of Resistance. You guessed 29. 21. Oh, Carnival Row took 53%. I think that's because it came out that month. Maybe. But didn't Dark Dark Crystal came out? Did anyone care about Dark Crystal? (laughs) (laughs) Fucking hell, Dark Crystal, fucking little masterpiece of the year over Carnival Row. Big swap around. Cardi scores 8, Matt scores 21, leaving the scores at Cardi 29, Matt 34. (sighs) What a late game switcheroo. Boys, we've left the best till last. This is fucking brilliant. Oh, I'm tense now. Pim gets us. Okay. Down to the park. <laughs> Region UK. Timescale 2019. The terms. Pringles salt and vinegar. <laughs> oh, shit. Pringles paprika. Oh, fuck. Pringles prawn cocktail. Oh, fuck. Why you'd search for any of them, <laughs> I don't know. What was the second one again, sorry? Paprika. paprika. Salt and vinegar, paprika, prawn cocktail. I'm going prawn cocktail. Okay. I'm going to go Paprika. Paprika. <laughs> what an event. Paprika. Uh, I'm going for 40%. 40% of the search. Really? I think a lot of people wonder, is the prawn cocktail? So I like a Pringle, but I, I and I like prawn cocktail a lot, but Pringle's prawn cocktail. Who knows what that could taste I'd, like? I'd, I'd never go for a prawn me. cocktail Pringle. 40%. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to go... I should say, I, know, I don't know the answers till I click a little <laughs> button that says show answers, which uh-huh. means it's brilliant, even for me. See, I don't think many people are bothered about the paprika Pringle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, it's they're, not... Maybe they're wondering... See, that's exist? it. Is the search a curiosity or yeah. a buying yeah. situation? Mm. So I'm going to go 20%. <laughs> Salt and vinegar. No, no one. No, no I'm reading one, out right? what, oh, all okay. the, what all the numbers are. Forty-seven percent. Oh fuck. Uh oh. Oh fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I thought something would be low because everyone just knows it exists. Cardi, prawn cocktail, guest forty. Oh no. Twenty-eight. Oh no. Matt, paprika. You guessed twenty. Twenty-five. <sighs> now. Fucking hell. Do you know how close this fucking is? <laughs> it's just a point. Cardi scores 12, Matt scores 5. Oh, there's just... I've lost by 2. Cardi on 41, Matt on 39. Hey. Let's play this every week. <laughs> the endless search might be over if Richard Pym can, in fact, do this for us every week. <laughs> this guys. game... And I know it's partly because I'm just Why looking at this thing. Why are you searching for thing. Pringles, Everyone knows what they Because say. they're, they're buying, buying it. it. No, they. No, <laughs> they're not that good. But everybody, everybody but knows you, it's a safe party right. choice. What isn't I'm it? thinking, oh my god, it's got all your scores where's, at the top all added up. This is amazing. <laughs> where's sour cream? Um, I just yeah, this is amazing because uh, uh you basically I think ignore me. Uh, the salt and vinegar <laughs> thing is basically I think 
you're not searching for Pringles online to buy them unless you're yeah. buying them in bulk. You're a caterer. If you're catering, you're going Salt you're going easy rather yeah. than interesting. It's true. it's true. That is how we play the trendless lurch. We finally found it's out. A close one. Again, apologies, Richard. You've written a banger, and you've written it in a beautiful way that makes me jealous of your skills. 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 Uh, with a Z. Feedback. We have got feedback. I think Matt's first. Matt is first. Can Matt, I? you want to read from here? Let's have I've a only look. got 5% left battery. So. Oh, my <laughs> lord. I've also got a flump. A flump, because Cardi has done his usual Christmas Santa gift style uh, buying in bulk, bulk of some... Not of salt and vinegar paprika crisps. <laughs> Pringles crisps. Uh, he's bought us flumps. He did chopper chaps one year. He did flumps another year. He's gone flumps again. Gone fl- I feel like flumps were a hit. Uh, you know they're individually sealed and they're light. You know what? Individually sealed's bad. Really? Remember when I bought Twizzlers and they were all individually sealed? Yeah, also, think of the good. planet. That's what I'm lands. thinking. The planet's bad. Do you know what's uh, underrated about a flump? I'm holding flour? it to the mic like it's going to help. The aroma. The aroma right. of the flump. They have got a vanillary sort of. Oh, it smells exactly like uh, Le Chivre. <laughs> <laughs> Best callback of the episode. <laughs> right. So this. <laughs> Just, there should be a Bond villain called Flop the Flump. <laughs> Mr. Flump. <laughs> right. Uh, this bit of feedback opens on. Uh, I'm going to start with a question here. It says, Hi, the, thir- the firm TM. Uh, I don't think I'm in on the firm. You're not. Oh, the firm no, is me. Eat. Sorry, I shouldn't be eating on a podcast, but it's a flump, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, um, the, the firm is me, Cardi, and Dale because of the football podcast. I see. Mm. So this uh, is not addressed to me. You're part. You're an Two honorary part of the, the firm. firm. Oh, that's nice. You're treasurer of the firm. Oh, that's like, <laughs> why are you giving me the money side? Because I just think you're more responsible than us. Yeah. I mean, I do. Have, I do have a Monzo account. It helps me keep everything in check. Exactly. This guy gets it. <laughs> I just put it all in a fucking pillowcase. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a long-time listener of the podcast and a big fan. This is from Bex, by the way. Oh, not, from, not from you. Oh, no, not from me. <laughs> I really enjoyed attending your screening of Inception. Right. What? <laughs> now. What? This two weeks in a row, someone's mistaken our love for the prestige as Inception. Now, I've gone to RKG and made sure that they aren't pulling some shit behind <laughs> our back. And Gav swears this isn't some weird in-joke. Well, I must say, it, th- this, sentence, this sentence does end even though I was still drunk from the night before. So maybe they did go. Bex, did you go to a screening of The Prestige and think you were watching Inception? So drunk that you got the (laughs) Nolan film wrong. Yeah, we just don't get it. Please explain why everyone thinks we like Inception. And don't do. make this a running joke, because I don't like it. I mean, we do <laughs> I mean, like Inception. We do like, well, like, as a, as it's a well documented that Inception... I prefer Inception. You're stupid, the though. <laughs> I like right. to dream. Anyway, Bex anyway. has an actual question. Yes. Bex says... I was hoping you could give me some advice. I love listening to your analysis and reviews of games, but the closest I've come to properly playing games is either... Oh, this is a really interesting because it's given me an insight into the listenership. They don't all actually play games. And that's really cool. Um, I've come to properly playing games is either Pokemon Blue on my Game Boy Advance, Harry Potter Quidditch World Cup on the PlayStation 2. I, I probably peaked playing these around age 12. I'd love to get into playing games, but I don't really know where to start. And as a girl, I'm even more paranoid about looking like a knob. That does yeah. not mean anything. Yeah, don't worry. I'm probably don't. more of a knob than you are. <laughs> don't, don't worry Almost about Almost definitely. <laughs> abs- gender does not come into this in any yeah. way. What games and platforms should I start with? Is that even the right question to be asking? Yes, it is. Uh, I don't know and need professional help. Enter the firm in brackets, please. And Bex. This is a super interesting question. It's actually the second of its kind we got this week. And I, I can't remember who the other one, uh, other person asked what it was for. Christmas presents for their girlfriend. Right. Um, 
who doesn't really play games. Mm-hmm. So this is a similar question. Hopefully, this will answer for both of you. Is uh, it too easy to say the Switch? I think to it depends on your budget. You yeah, know, yeah. like if you're going, don't want to spend too much. You almost certainly have a smartphone capable of playing a lot of amazing mm-hmm. games. Like, mm-hmm. and if you're not going to, if you're not thinking like stuff you see people playing on the train like I would immediately say get Hold Down because I think Hold Down's a fucking amazing game I just started yesterday playing it again it's so good but Hold Down is a time waster rather than like game no that's unfair it's a different kind of game okay so in a similar sort of manner like if Bex if you have an iOS phone I would suggest Sayonara Wild Hearts because it's very very easy to understand how that game plays because it's based on rhythm Um, it has basically the soundtrack to it is one of my most listened to albums of the year it's incredible and it also has like a really heartfelt story which I think like if you're coming from a world where like you know how movies work you will sort of see like this wordless story told through the the style of Sayonara at at the opposite end of the spectrum still a mobile game uh, 80 Days yes is a choose-your-own-adventure book, in essence, but with a lot more gamey aspects, inventories, currencies, ways to play through that game in different ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is a fucking incredibly told, uh, changeable narrative game about around the world in 80 days, but in a sort of steampunk Victoriana mm-hmm. place. But it's all... It's, like, got anti-colonial stuff. It's got love stories. It's got, And you can play it through multiple times and have completely different journeys. It's a bit like the Thrones games. Uh, oh, as in rain? Rain, rain. yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I can always call it Thrones, although I know it's not yeah. called yeah. Thrones. Rain is essentially a card game, choose your own adventure, which yeah. is very cool. Although I always get frustrated with rains. Yeah. I get stuck on it. Like, mm. just get, when you get the same cards over and over again on runs, yeah. that always bothers me. Or if you are into puzzles, all the room games. Oh, yeah, the room games great. are fucking amazing. Yeah. They're so good. But also, let's say the Bex wants to actually put money on yeah. the table. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think a Switch. I think either, yeah, Switch has got a Pokemon, plethora. Yeah, if Pokemon Blue, like the new Pokemon is a good... Lovely. Good, and it's good entry-level Pokemon so as well, I think. my girlfriend recently, in the last year, has had this same question for mm. me. She, The last game she played properly was Pokemon Blue. Right. Last year, she played Let's Go Eevee because it was... It's the a version game, of yeah. the game she yeah. knew, but it's updated, so she really enjoyed that. And she's just finishing pokemon shield now and like if you the benefit of that is that a those games are designed to be accessible so you're not kind of having to go in with years of acquired muscle memory and knowledge of games Mm -hmm. but it is functionally a better game now than it was and you are so you'll go in with the structural knowledge but you're getting a much better experience so if you can buy a switch that's fantastic it's not all overwhelming and it's british Yeah. yeah i will also say that my girlfriend played and finished god of war which has an easy mode that meant she didn't have to have those action game chops. She could get through it and see the story, but still had to engage with, like, puzzles and combat. My my sister did the same thing with that and Uncharted 4. Yeah. Just, yeah. So that would be a a PlayStation. And I could do think, like, we should... If, if you feel like that you, you can jump into that sort of stuff, then those games offer amazing things. I think if you're looking for maybe something like that, but you don't necessarily want the cost layout, because PlayStation yeah. still does goes on Black Friday, you could get an Xbox One S for 99 quid. Shit! <laughs> um, so they'll probably have a similar deal for Christmas. We're almost just in time for that. 
you can get Game Pass, which obviously, um, so what's that? I think you they can literally at the moment. They three months for a pound. Yeah, they're doing three months for a pound. That deal probably will be on at Christmas, even if it's not. It's like, is seven ninety nine the base price for yeah, Game seven, Pass? Netflix. Basically. It's a Netflix cost. Yeah, which allows you to get into a library of more than 100 games. It's almost 200, if not 200 yeah. now. So you a essentially huge have, range. Yeah, you have your pick of games that run, rain from like classics from 10 years ago to stuff that came out this week. Yeah. yeah. And that will have almost certainly something that will appeal to you. And like, I always say with games, like, think of the either books that you like or the films that you like and, like, follow that genre strand. So mm-hmm. if you're into sci-fi, play something like The Outer Worlds. Yeah. Like, I think The Outer Worlds is actually a really good shout for someone who maybe doesn't have a lot of action game sort of experience because a lot of that can be played as a dialogue-based role-playing game. Yeah. Very story-heavy, so it means that you get a lot of gratification without necessarily having to be great at shooting at the moment. And if mm-hmm. you really did enjoy Inception, play Control. Yeah, yeah. that's true. <laughs> yeah. So, that's fucking difficult. <laughs> I yeah, think that's, that's the problem. Game. It's not like coming in and not being able to understand this stuff. It's mm-hmm. that a lot of games... And, like, I never really considered this till I was kind of going through games with my girlfriend being like, oh, shit, right. It's like, language, right? But yeah, language, language. Like, language and muscle memory are such a huge mm. part of games that you never consider as someone who's been a fucking nerd your entire yeah, life. I always remember giving my, like, it must have been, like, ten years ago now. Like, I think it was, like, the first Modern Warfare, giving my mum the controller once. <laughs> like, just, she couldn't even get up some stairs. Like, using twin analogs was yeah. just, yeah. it's so second nature. Yeah, you me. just don't it's think just about like, it. Yeah. But it's also, like, puzzle games. I tried to play Gora Goa. Mm. which is incredible with my girlfriend and that game has the thing has a thing that seems so second nature it's like if you see something green you know that you'll need something green to interact with it or yeah. something like that why is that a rule <laughs> like nah. that's not how the real world works so when yeah. i when i was playing with her i was just like well that obviously goes there and she's like why <laughs> and then yeah. i felt like a dickhead <laughs> yeah i think my best advice would be switch and pokemon at the moment if you have the money for that. I do. And also, Animal Crossing is out in a few months as well. That's a, a good yeah. fucking banger. I, I genuinely think S and Game Pass is a really yeah. good show because yeah. there's so many and games for so little there's money. There's another game called Football Manager. <laughs> yeah. If you're into that. If you really liked the idea of Richard Pym's spreadsheet, mm-hmm. imagine that. Oh, but it's, it's a, it's a, I think it's still quite a long while off, but um, the Chucklefish are making their... It doesn't even have a name yet, but it's like their Harry Potter-ish oh, sort Harry of Potter game. Oh, Harry Potter Stardew Valley, basically. Yeah, yeah, and I think sort of like that. Like, if you're listening for the Football Manager side of stuff, the, there'll almost be a certain amount of... That managing that, like managing school of witchcraft, school, yeah, yeah. So um, whenever that comes out, but, I feel like but, that's still a couple of years off. But yeah. can I play Ron a wing back? <laughs> Don't know. I mean, he's a beat. No, Ron's a keeper, isn't he? Yeah, um, he's probably oh, yeah, a very they, good. His keeper. brothers are beaters, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. they're definitely beaters. Look, yeah, there should drink be a bit of Felix Felicis to get on. <laughs> there should be a better Quidditch game by now. That's all I say. <laughs> I've got another piece of feedback. Go from, for it from Daniel Stamford. Hello, mate. Says hello all. Hope you're all well. Yes. I am well, actually. Thank you. We've got our Christmas party today. Oh, mate. Yeah. I'm going to embarrass myself. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's for me to do. Um, Daniel says, I'll keep it brief and simple. Listening to last week's episode, and due to circumstances I won't bore you with, the bit where Joe's dad phoned in to check on him really (laughs) affected me. I may have got a little misty eye on the tube as I listened. Mm Mm-hmm. Which father and son relationships in movies, games, books, or TV have affected you emotionally? Keep uh, up the great work. I've got a very simple answer to this. Yeah. All of them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's my weird tear trigger. Father-son stuff. And, like, as you hopefully could tell from last week's podcast, me and my dad get on really well. It's not oh. like I've got, like, yeah. weird issues. 
but something about father-son pride I think it's and more, yeah, the success. Pride stuff. Not so much the sadness, but, but yeah, when like a, a dad is proud of their yeah. son and stuff. I can tell you one recently. I've done a full rewatch of Avatar The Last Airbender, which remains one of the greatest TV series ever made. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would highly recommend everyone go and watch it. It's on Netflix. You can get or do all three seasons really quickly, and it's fucking yeah. incredible. I've got a couple, An obvious one is God of War. Uh, I think that's an incredible. You didn't actually let me tell my story about it. Well... <laughs> Hey, go on, Can I tell you one bit? On, there's a bit what? called there's a, there's an episode made up of short stories about lots of side characters in that show, mm. and one of them is the tale of Iroh, and Iroh is the uncle of the evil prince Zuko. Iroh has this horrible backstory where he was besieging and uh, besieging a city, and made the call to send a battalion of soldiers into the city, including his son, and they were wiped out. Oh and he God. is like invisibly haunted by this throughout. That you never get outwardly told that he's cut up by this but his constant looking after his nephew is his surrogate son comes Mm -hmm. through all the time there's just this one very short story which is just him going around the town picking up stuff for what looks like a picnic and then helping people out in the town and singing a little song and it all comes together at the end you realize it's his dead son's birthday and he sings the song which is like a nursery rhyme and just cries and I fucking wept. <laughs> like my my girlfriend turned around and was like, "Oh my god, what's going on?" It's like <gasps> it's unbelievable. I've got, I'm nearly crying now. <laughs> I've got I've got I said it's a short list. I've got a long list to this. I said obvious God of War is a, a great game example of that. Uh they go through pretty much every emotion in that game. Mm-hmm. Uh on the other end of the spectrum, Succession just cuz that is <laughs> One of the most taught, yeah, like father and just whole children situation. Yeah. But my boy, my number one boy, <laughs> my number one boy. But yeah, that <laughs> dynamic's incredible. Um, Call me by your name. That uh, if you, I'm not going to spoil that film if you haven't seen it. But near the end of that is one of the most heartbreaking God, speeches. Um, in a good way as well. It's a, it's it's positive, but. Mm-hmm. Oh, that'll make you tear. And then pretty much every Paul Thomas Anderson film is about a father and son relationship. Yeah. Or a surrogate one. So you've got mm. There'll Be Blood, uh, Boogie Nights, is pr- you've got Mark Wahlberg's character and, um, what's the name of the actor? The director. Um, in the film. Others. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, the Master is pretty much a surrogate yeah. father and son relationship. Uh, yeah, there's just lots of good ones like that. Mm-hmm. Um Jaws, no, I'm just making things up now. <laughs> Good in it. I actually found this one far more difficult than you guys, um, and my answer is therefore a slight cheat because it's a father-daughter relationship, right? I think that's reasonable, but it's a it's a, a similar sort of deal, I suppose. And that's Lee and Clementine in The Walking Dead. Oh yeah, um, the. What I have now come to decide is the only good version of The Walking Dead is Telltale's yep. uh, games. And um, obviously that is, uh, like what I think all the best ones do, like God of War does, it, it's not just about the father teaching the child, mm. it's about the child teaching yeah. the father and sort of Lee's change from... Because at the start, like it's easy to forget that Lee's a fucking criminal. Mm. Like, he basically shot the man that was going off with his wife. Um, and he's sort of like change so much from what is this sort of violent person that you don't really get to see a lot of into this really really caring person who obviously sort of like at the end you know gives everything for her and the the sort of like there's a shot as you're um going through the streets You've, have you both yeah i played it 
Um, I'm not going to say what happens in the very, very end of that episode, but there is a bit where you're going through some streets to get to cover. It's just full of zombies, and Lee is just carving his way through it to make sure that Clem can get to safety. Mm. I fucking weep through that. <laughs> There's like, a, there is a, a, I think it's easy to forget that when season one of The Walking Dead came out, games didn't do that. No. Like, if even if you got emotional relationships, they were very rarely shown in a way of, mm. outside of, like, text or outside yeah. of, like, stilted animations. Like, that's the first time it felt like yeah. you were watching digital acting. And then the last for that kind came of thing. along as another surrogate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Child relationship. I think the, the way... I don't remember a time before or since that I've been in an office full of people who play games and talked about games that way. Like, the response to what that game was doing seems mm. so important mm. and so weirdly forgotten because of what happened to Telltale. Yeah. It's very strange. And one more, Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, final bit of feedback. Uh, this one is less in-depth. <laughs> uh, this is from Will. Uh, and it's essentially a response to several things that we talked about on, on the podcast last week, Mind none trouble? of which <laughs> we remembered saying properly. Or I didn't. What have I done? I've heard an orange juice and lemonade is called a St. Clement's <laughs> after the nursery rhyme, oranges and lemons. That ma- I've never heard, but that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, and it is just the most refreshing drink on He's, the planet. He says, I love how this podcast has basically become a poor man's QI via snail mail. <laughs> <laughs> poor man's unbelievable. He changes tack. Sa- he jukes. Saying I'm worse than Sandy Toxic. Yes. Watch this for a conversational juke. I made her a herbal tea once. Sorry. Carry on. <laughs> Are you quite done? We've moved from St. Clement's. I had no nose hair at all until about two years ago. Then I turned 30, and now suddenly I can pull it out by the fistful. But I still only weirdly have one wiry ear hair a year. I don't have any ear or nose hair. I'm clean. Uh, Yeah, no, we've talked about that. Uh, And finally, have your thoughts on Half-Life Alex and the possibility of Half-Life 3 since this announcement? we didn't even... I think it's because mainly because Matt, you haven't been on the podcast for two weeks, no. and you're the only one of us really who knows Half Life in depth. So I mean, I when Half Life when the trailer of Half Life Alex uh, dropped, I did uh, a tweet saying, "So Half Life's the reason why I do this job." Mm. Yeah. Like I can remember being uh, a wee boy going into a game station mm-hmm. and seeing an issue of PC Gamer which had got the front cover was Half Life Two, and it was like it's going to be the most amazing game this year. Came with a CD with seven video like gameplay videos mm-hmm. on it. I watched that, and uh, the man who wrote that article gave me my first job. That's good. Um, so shout out me. to Tim. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So um, I like I don't mind a bit of VR. Like it's just been things that I've done as part of the job, mm. but I've never been fussed. At uh, the moment that trailer dropped, I went out and bought a VR headset. <laughs> <laughs> so there we go. That's five hundred quid. I'm lighter. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I Valve. Um, I'm sure. I know, Cardi, you haven't played Half Life Two. No, you but I, yeah. Two, yeah. I do love both. I never, games. Yeah. I never played the episodes, but I sure. played oh, Half-Life you should 2. play the episodes. Yeah, I will they do. Are That's phenomenal. it. Now that this is all happening, it's yeah. like that weird niggling thing in your head where you're like, "Well, I'll get to it now." Mm-hmm. Obviously, Paul and VR. What? Well, I mean, I the lab. There is oh. there is the lab, which is sort yeah. of a bit like Port VR. But um, Valve have said that they looked at doing Portal, but the momentum required just makes just you make, feel incredibly sick. I yeah, suppose, you'd yeah. have to do it really, yeah. s- like slow versions of those puzzles. Yeah, but the thing is, is like Valve have revolutionised the gaming industry on every game they made. So I've just well, artifact. Oh no, not artifact. They've tried. To- <laughs> but, all right then, through every Half Life game they've made. Yeah. yeah. So I've just finished replaying Half-Life 1. Um, 
I sort of assumed that I'd still just like it. I didn't realise I'd play it and go, shit, this... Because I've played it, the Black Mesa remake yeah, of it, yeah. which is... It still looks old because it's in a 2007 graphics. Mm. But I was like, there's so much of this, which is just like, God, it reminds me of Bioshock. And Bioshock still feels great mm. today. And I'm like, all of this was there in 1998. Um, but the thing about Half-Life 2 is it introduced, it basically introduced physics to video games yeah. and like that is so important to it. Mm. And I think even though I don't ever see VR as being the replacement for traditional video games, I do want to know what a, because it's a full length campaign, it's like yeah. a 15, 18 hour video game. Yeah. I want to know what they're doing in VR and that. And I'm sure it'll be the one game where it'll be like, you know what, I know I dropped a console amount of money on this headset, yeah. but it would have been worth it for I that. have little doubt that it'll be not great just because they must be if they're putting the Half-Life name on a full VR experience they must be confident that this thing is special yeah Yeah. do you think Half-Life 3 is going to be a thing what if the game ends and it just turns into it just the Alex morphs into three? And you've been playing uh, no. it all along. It won't because it, it won't address the because Half Life Two Episode Two ends on a colossal cliffhanger, mm. and like until that is addressed, that's that's Half Life Three not being worked. Mm. But um, I Valve are making video games again, which is something I genuinely never thought I'd ever be able to say. And I mm. know that the first one was Artifact, which is. Actually, not as bad as a game no, as just, it should be, but it's just no one cares. Yeah, mm. and the thing, I think part of the reason is no one cares is Half Stones out there, which is fucking great. But that's it. It's, it doesn't. It's not special. No, it, it exists. It's a. It's a good game. Yeah, that's all it is. Yeah, uh, but I mean, and the whole thing is, is obviously they pulled um, Campo Santo off Valley of the Gods to help make it's this. Slightly annoying. Which is slightly annoying because I would have liked. I to can have understand seen why, is, <laughs> but. I want to know from like their mouths what it felt like to be like, I know that we bought you so that you could make this game. We don't want you to make that game anymore. We want you to make the first Half-Life game in just over a decade. Yeah, like That must have been quite a mixed emotions for those guys. Mm. Um, but it's but also, yeah. I mean, the way Valve works, it wouldn't have been as simple as being told they have to do it. It would be, this opportunity exists do you want to? And then they get the choice to say mm-hmm. yes or no. The, mm-hmm. the famous thing about Valve is people, de- developers work yeah. on what they want to work on, mm-hmm. which is why there's been something like 11 failed Half-Life yeah. 3s. I um, have hope yeah. for you, Matt, that you will one day see Half-Life 3. I would very much like to. <laughs> you just don't give a <laughs> shit. I, well, maybe when I'll, I maybe force I'll play, maybe I'll play the first two at some point yeah. in the near future. I think you should. Maybe. If only we had a series <laughs> where we play games we've never played before. Well, well, well. Yeah. And on uh, that episode 2S cliffhanger... Well, we should probably explain the oh, next yeah. month of podcasts is going to be all over the place. Yeah. Um, we're going to do a series of holiday specials on yeah. the days that you'd expect to get podcasts and also the days you know. I'm wouldn't just bringing up our fantastic little Trello board just to Your fill in sketch. some more He's drawn details. up a sketch. I've got shooting dates. I've got calendars, studio time. I can tell it. you that next week's next episode, week is this time next week, on. will be our alternative awards for the best games of the year. Yep. Then uh, the Friday after the 20th is Movie and TV, mm-hmm. Alternative Awards. Do we want to tell everyone what all of these are? Or do we yeah, want to leave someone surprised? Tell them all. 25th of December. It's now our annual, just endless search special. Yeah. Special games. We're going to do an endless search special. Extra special. Might uh, be in touch, Richard Pym. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the 27th, that's a Friday. That is our look forward to 2020. So everything yep. we're looking forward to, games, TV, The big film. preview. There's a lot of a lot of stuff. A lot of laughs. New Year's Eve. New Year's Eve. End of the decade special. Yes. We'll be talking about the best things from the last 10 years. Yeah, and I know everyone's doing that, but like, 
We're did you really a not twist. want us to? <laughs> like a little twist of lime into the St. Clement. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we are. Is that what we're going to do? Yeah. All right, sweet. And then 3rd of January, all I've written on the card is, we back. We back. Uh, with, hopefully, loads of tales of stinking Bond villains. Yeah, so that 3rd of December is the next time you'll see feedback. Yes. Unfortunately. Probably, but, unless you write something well good. Ma- do you know what? Maybe we'll make it a bumper feedback special. We'll, we'll do more than usual. Oh, also, we're going to have two episodes of It's Football Day during that time as oh, well. Oh, yes. God, we have a lot to record before I go yes, away. You only, we only have you for another six days. I know. Oh, God. We better get on with it then. Okay, bye. bye. Sweet dream. See ya. Bye. <laughs>